1: For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me.
0: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, this is Vivi Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And speaking of books, I have two of my own books coming out this spring and summer. Princess Charming is a picture book, which debuts on April 19th, and Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature comes out on July 1st, and it is truly a labor of love. I hope you'll pre-order, order, and join me on tour as I go across the country. You can find out more at ZiviOwens.com or bookendsmemoir.com, and you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens because I always post about everything. Enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. I need your help. If you love this podcast, You will love my children's book. It's called Princess Charming, and I am really trying to drum up pre order sales. You might not know this, but before a book comes out is actually a really important time for the whole book's trajectory. So please pre order Princess Charming, which comes out April 19th today. Just stop what you're doing and go do that, please. When it arrives on April 19th, you can give it to a loved one in your life, a niece, a grandchild, a child, a student. A kid walking by on the street, anybody, but if you could do this, here is my offer. If you email me your receipt showing me that you bought the book online somewhere and pre-ordered it, email info at zibbyowens.com. That's info at zibbyowens.com. And I will pick 10 people to do a special giveaway project award Two from my new Bonfire merch store, which you should also check out, which is um, the Zibby Owens Media Bonfire store where you can get all sorts of cool t-shirts and uh, tote bags and author sayings and all sorts of great stuff. So what did I say? 10 of you are going to get a special care package of your choice from the Bonfire store. And I will pick at random from all of you who pre-order the book. So if that wasn't clear... Go pre-order Princess Charming. Again, it's called Princess Charming. It's my debut picture book. It's really cute and great, and it's illustrated by Holly Haddam. And then after you get the receipt, screenshot it or forward it to me at info at and you will be entered to win one of 10 exciting care packages. So go off and order. Thank you so much. Bye. Jessamine Chan is the author of The School for Good Mothers. Her short stories have appeared in Tin House and Epic, a former reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. She holds an MFA from Columbia University's School of the Arts and a BA from Brown University. Her work has received support from the Elizabeth George Foundation, the Breadloaf Writers Conference, the Wurlitzer Foundation, the Gentle Foundation, the Kimmel-Harding-Nelson Center, the Anderson Center, the Virginia Center for the Creative Arts, and the Ragdell Foundation. She lives in Philadelphia with her husband and daughter. Welcome, Jasmine. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss the School for Good
1: Mothers. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's a pleasure to be here and, and to meet you.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure to meet you. And your book has already had so much success since we booked this interview. You've been everywhere. Read with Jenna, pick instant New York Times bestseller. I mean, that's amazing. Congratulations. Congratulations.
1: Thank you so much. It's It's been a really wild five or six weeks.
0: I bet. <laughs> Amazing. Well, why don't you tell listeners what your book is about for those who are not familiar with it yet?
1: So The School for Good Mothers, which is my debut novel, is about Frida Liu, a Chinese-American single mom who loses custody of her toddler daughter after having one very bad day. And in order to get her back, she's she has to spend a year at a newly created government institution where she's retrained with moms from all over the county whose transgressions range from benign to horrific. And the moms have to pass an elaborate series of tests. And if they don't pass all the school's tests, their parental rights will be terminated. So readers follow her her journey through the school and her her quest to get her daughter back.
0: I was about to say, can you imagine? And then I was Thinking, you did imagine. Thank you. Yes, we can now all imagine, you know, if that were real life.
1: How did you think of this? Were you having a really bad day? I actually st- started the book years before getting pregnant. So part of the book grew out of my intense anxiety about the decision of whether or not my partner and I should have a baby. So not everyone responds to ambivalence or anxiety by starting a dystopian novel about motherhood. But that is is how I processed my anxiety. I was heading into my late 30s. It was time to choose a path. I didn't feel ready in any way. I didn't have a book done yet. We were living in Brooklyn. I mean... Deciding whether or not to have a baby when you're artist living in New York, it feels like a very daunting prospect. And so I was at the time working at Publishers Weekly and trying to work on a short story collection. So after probably the 10th time of getting rejected from McDowell and Yotto, I took my my vacation days and I asked my friend Bridget, who very kindly said, yes, you can come stay at my house upstate. And so I cocooned myself there. I was very, very isolated and it was I think there was some kind of crazy like two foot snowfall. So I was just very much alone and snowed in and, and working through a lot of terrible story ideas until I had one very good writing day. So, so Frida's very bad day grew out of a very good writing day. And Part of what fueled that that day's writing, which resulted in the foundation for the book with Frieda and Harriet's story and the women in pink lab coats and the dolls and the the voice of the book, came from my ruminations on the subject of motherhood. And also, some of the idea was sparked by a New Yorker article I'd read several months prior called Where Is Your Mother by Rachel Aviv, which followed the, the really heartbreaking story of one single mom who left her toddler son at home, went to work. And after that, they never got him back. And so some something about that story just, just lodged in my mind. So I, I definitely didn't sit down with a notebook thinking, oh, this could spark the idea for a bigger project. But I just felt so much rage on that mother's behalf. And I think it just must have stayed in my subconscious. Oh my gosh. Well,
0: it felt I'm not surprised to hear you wrote it in a cabin totally isolated because there is that feeling that she has when she is alone and being watched and feeling like she's literally going out of her mind because what are you supposed to do to show you're a good mom? Like what is she doing wrong? She's second guessing literally every single thing that she does, and all she wants is to get her child back and it it, it, it there is a kind of madness in that when there's when the most fundamental thing that you want is taken away. It's like, wh- how else do you, how, how do you process something like
1: that? Right? I think the thing that surprised me, and perhaps it shouldn't have surprised me because it's quite commonplace, is once I started reading about the subject of uh, the government intervention in family life, I think I was really shocked at the numbers of of how many children are removed from their families each year all around the country. So, so I mean one one tragedy that did make the headlines was the the horrible like beyond words horror of the family separation at the border. But in America it's all it's primarily it's disproportionately Black and brown women who are poor, who are affected by the government taking their, their children away for a, a host of reasons. And I think once I started reading more about that I, that issue, I was really surprised that it, it's not headline news most of the time, but it's, it's happening all around us.
0: Even just having to give the child to her ex or not, right, even just that and having just a tiny visitation and having everything be perfect and having somebody have to say like you know like make her play with these dolls or whatever it is that happens in the seat right like and she's like well she doesn't want to play with the dolls right the second and no how can well that's what i don't know the the, the level of anxiety and the pressure to force a child, which as anyone who's ever been in a room with a child or seen a movie about a child knows, is like impossible to force a child to do something they don't want to do at that age. Yeah. Even just having to relinquish it, which I, you know, as a divorced mom, I'm remarried, but, you know, even just knowing legally that my kids are with my ex-husband, you know, just that like, I don't actually have the legal right to my children on a given mm-hmm. day is so terrifying that I like, can't even think about
1: it. <laughs> Uh, a lot of the original article was about the the tragedy of of losing your child to strangers so mm. that that the original article was much more about the foster care system i definitely didn't feel that that i could necessarily access like i i didn't feel like for whatever amount of research i could do i didn't necessarily feel like i could access that experience and render it authentically in fiction but i could imagine the heartbreak of a, a broken marriage and and feeling like your child is being raised by another woman or or mm-hmm. by the other woman in in the what caused the the dissolution of the marriage. So I I chose a different storyline there.
0: Yeah. So how do you go then from writing this whole book and analyzing all of this before you had your own daughter to then becoming a mom, having thought about the worst things ever? Although, of course we probably all think about the worst things ever all the time, (laughs) but you really went there.
1: (laughs) I I really, really went there. It's a very weird thing to do, to be working on a book like this while pregnant and while raising a new baby and an infant and a toddler Mm -hmm. and having a a book like this grow alongside my daughter. So I I think I partly went there as as a way to survive a really confusing and overwhelming experience because the book really gave me a home to pour all of my my thornier feelings into like if i was feeling really guilty or shameful or frustrated i had somewhere for those feelings to go instead of just festering in my brain so i think in some ways the book allowed me to be a little bit kinder to myself as mm. a as a parent because i was writing about systemic injustices and about the culture and about all the culture really oppressing women and oppressing moms. And so because I was always taking that like macro look at things, I think I was a little bit gentler with myself. But what what really changed after I I had my daughter was that I had to rewrite the whole book because <laughs> I think I was able after having her to to really access the a mom's love for a child which I I think that is actually it was much harder to write the love in the book than to write the conflict. I mean, to write people fighting or battling or being sad, I my brain goes there much more easily than to write about how much she loves Harriet or how much she loved Gust and even like her love for her own parents. I mean, it, those are somehow for me, maybe it's not this way for all writers, but for me, it was harder to access the, the tender feelings and to, to render them in good (laughs) prose. And so, so I, I feel like the, the free to inherit relationship really deepened, but I also feel like I had to really simplify the lessons after I had a baby, because in the original drafts, the moms were actually running through fire, like escaping from actual burning buildings. And, and I think I didn't understand that each day's tasks are a gauntlet of emotions like i didn't understand like getting teeth brushed getting the shoes on getting the jacket on like each had their own battles and so so the lessons became much more streamlined and i i added things like trying to convince the dolls not to drop food on the floor or trying to swallow anything or to take medicine so so the i so real life motherhood definitely informed the revision it is all so hard I mean, all of it,
0: you know, just getting out the door, I mean, the, the psychological, especially as the kids get older, it's like before you could just kind of pick them up, right. If they really didn't want to, you had that option, but my kids are all older now. I, I can't even like lift most of my, my kids anymore. Well, How old are they? I have 14 and a half year old twins, a boy and a girl. And then I have an eight and a half year old and a seven year old. I can pick up the seven year old. But he wouldn't like it. Like, I can't pick him up and carry him out the door or he'll like throw, you know. But yeah, all these little tasks. I had this idea a while back that I still want to pursue at some point. I want to do like a game show called Top Mom, where you have moms like performing all these tasks and there's a contest and a timer and you have to judge them like try to walk, try to get all these, th- hold all these things and leave a playground at the same time. Like which mom can balance it best? Because like all these little things we do, sometimes the solution is like heroic, right? Like the, the directions for things and just how we have to make our way through the world, taking care of children can sometimes feel like, you know, it would have been nice to have a school for this, not this kind of school granted, but you know.
1: <laughs> you know, I, this is reminding me of a my my group text with my mom from some West Philly, one of them, my my friend Dorit suggested, wouldn't it wouldn't it be something if there was a contest where you pass all these Tests and the what you win is a year of free childcare. And she yes. was saying like she was saying like it could be like a Hunger Game style battle. But at the at yes. the end, you would get a year of free childcare. And one of my other friends chimed in and said like I would cut you all down like to get to get that year of free childcare. So funny, that's a good addition. Well, maybe I should talk to your friend. We should
0: do it together. I had like a whole <laughs> trivia section where you like a speed round. You have to remember all these. St- kids songs and then you have a physical challenge and anyway I'm getting off topic but all to say there's a lot and it's it's, really a jungle. And, you know, there's not always Big Brother watching you, but Mm. it feels like that. I mean, even with nobody watching, I mean, I hope nobody's watching, although of course they say Instagram is listening all the time. But anyway, it always feels like somebody is watching and judging no matter where you are or what you're doing. And if it's your inner critic or if it's the mama, you know, at school drop-off or wherever, it always has this like very loaded feeling. Like you're not just acting in your own sort of universe, right? It's all judged and and then of course it makes it so hard to act in that scenario until you gain the confidence over
1: years of motherhood or never i guess yeah i i don't i don't know if i've gained the confidence so much as accepted my own limitations in, in a way uh, especially during the pandemic we definitely have changed a lot of our rules regarding things like screen time or yeah. i've been very lucky to have a pretty even tempered child. I I'm gonna knock on wood after this interview because I don't have any real wood <laughs> around me right now, but I will knock on the wood floor to uh to praise my my gener- generally even keeled daughter. But it's yeah, I don't I don't know that I, I I people ask me now for for like friends who are having babies have asked me for parenting advice. But I I think it's it's just uh, Stunning how much pressure we all live with, you know, like talking about when we were talking about the, the judging and the shaming, I was thinking of one one anecdote that I've told, which it just really captures the sort of flippant judgment of strangers. So my daughter had I think she was maybe five months into Learning how to walk. And so, how
0: old is she uh, now?
1: She's she just turned five, just got her second vaccine dose a week ago. No, two, no, two weeks ago, she got her second vaccine dose, which is a hallelujah moment. But when she was about maybe 18 months, so she was new to walking, was falling down a lot. And I did not at the time carry band aids in my diaper bag because I wasn't experienced yet. And at some point, she fell down and scraped her knee. And there's another mom at the playground who just looked, gave me this sort of very judgy side eye and she said um your child is bleeding and <laughs> and then she's turned away and after that day i always carried band-aids cuz i just felt i just felt the shame have I mean, you, <laughs> my daughter was fine.
0: Have you seen the show Pivoting? It's on Fox right now. It was written by a woman named Liz Astroff, who's a good friend of mine. She I met her originally through the show several years ago. And her book was called Don't Wait Up, Confessions of a stay at Work Mom. Anyway, her show is hilarious, but there was just a scene that I watched last night, or two nights ago rather, where one mom is like in the park with the trainer she has a crush on, and he mm-hmm. gets stung by a bee, and she like reaches into her bag and like pulls out like the venom sucker thing It starts like pulling the venom him out and then takes like a superhero band-aid and puts it on him and you know her daughter's like really old and anyway it was hilarious and it yes as a mom you, you, these habits die hard <laughs> with the band-aids anyway watch the show
1: it's hilarious yeah i haven't seen it yet but i i love the idea of that yeah it's very fun
0: a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance
1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: So what are you working on? Are you working on another book or did you write
1: another book after this one or what's what's next? I, I wish I could tell you yes on both counts. We finished the edits last spring and then pretty much immediately headed into, into pre-pub land. So So that's where I I met you for the first time during like some of the early Simon and Schuster events. But I I think I, I think I took the time when I could have started another book and moved to another city. So, so I was living in in West Philly and we moved back to the Chicago area so that we could live near my parents. It was definitely one of those decisions born out of the pandemic when you don't see your family for 18 months and decide that, okay, I'm going to relocate so that we can see each other. And (laughs) And so I think I took some of that downtime and just moved us to another place. But I'm, I'm really excited to start writing again. I'm right at the moment, I'm launching the book and doing uh, press for the UK and also just trying to see my daughter more. But I'm, I'm excited to to get back to writing fiction soon. But, but I, I think I'm probably going to be pretty secretive about the next project because I, I, tend, I tend not to, to share too much about stuff that's that's still in process. What do you think the school for good fathers would look like? I think it would be a nicer place. I, I bet everyone would be a little gentler with the fathers. I I think I envisioned a place where the the fathers are treated uh, more humanely on every front, like more calls home, more respect for their individual autonomy, less less shaming. So I I certainly some elements of the both schools are satirical, but. I did want to reflect the the different ways that that our culture treats moms and dads.
0: Excellent. What advice would you have for aspiring authors?
1: Two things. One is to keep going. And I I'll just I've been trying in in any interviews I do to say my age because I I just feel like in the publishing industry there's definitely the the standard narrative which is you have to get your book done by 30 or 35 and and there's a lot of focus on youth. And so I'm publishing my first book at 43. I started writing when I was 18 in college. So it was a, a very long, slow journey. I mean, I started this book in my mid-30s, but I w- I've been writing for my whole adult life. So it, it's this is the the dream come true after a very, very long, long series of ups and downs to get here. So, so first is to not quit. And then second, I would say, try to stay off the internet if you can. There's there's definitely a lot of pressure to be a person on the internet before selling a book. But I'll just add that I did not have any public social media accounts before selling my book. And I was generally unfindable on the internet. And it's, it's not that those conversations didn't come up when I was selling the book to say like, hey, like you have like no foot, digital footprint, but i I decided to do that because I knew that I had to protect my writing time and certainly that's very true for for anyone who's a parent it is like you have to do you have to do some things differently to just like hold on to the time that you have and the concentration you have. so so I definitely found that that like not being publicly on Twitter and instagram uh, was was helpful for for my creative life during the the time before selling a book, so I, I am participating now. But I, I definitely ignored that for a really long time. And did you like? How did you did the, did the agent
0: you get say anything about that? Like, did anybody at, at any stage tell you to do it differently?
1: You know, I, I only so I, I literally only had a public Instagram and Twitter account after after right. we sold the book in fall twenty nineteen, yeah. and I, I didn't start posting much until probably. 2020. Um, no one gave me explicit instructions. I think if I if I said like I absolutely can't do this, I, I think that probably would have been an option. I think I I have wanted to contribute to the team effort to yep. get to getting <laughs> to getting the book out there, but I'm a very private person and so so interfacing with the world in this way has, has been a, a, def, a definitely a really different experience, but it's, I'm very grateful for the online community now, because I mean, launching a book during a pandemic is not super easy. And certainly Instagram and Twitter has been a great way to get the, to get the book out and to hear from, also to hear from readers at a time when I'm, I'm only doing a handful of in-person events.
0: Do you have any regrets, like as a private person and someone who protects their space to then have this be all over the, like this, you couldn't have had a more national introduction to publicity for books, right? With Jenna and everything. Were you ever like, oh my gosh, maybe this is a mistake or anything like that? Do you know what I mean? Like you can't go back now.
1: (laughs) You know, I've had a really charmed launch and I've been lucky in pretty much every single way. So the the amount of publicity the book has gotten has been a very very fortunate thing and i i think having worked up to this experience over many years i think i'm able to to appreciate it and i i think everyone's been a very respectful of my desire like i don't i don't put pictures of my daughter on the internet and i I totally respect the decisions of parents who do but that was just a decision that my husband and I made to not share her image publicly and to let her decide that when she's older. I mean that has taken some effort to to, to say like only sharing photos of her where there's like her little baby feet showing or something like that or like where she's turned away from the camera. So like there've been some extra efforts required mm-hmm. to maintain privacy for my family but it's yeah, I don't think I have any regrets. It's been it's definitely been really surreal to launch the book at a time when I've mostly been living in isolation because I mean, early January was a difficult time for everyone. and especially with my daughter not being fully vaccinated yet, we we just generally didn't see anyone. so I, I've been especially grateful for for the the community and the conversation online because that's that's really the only conversations that that we were having at that at the time of the launch was was on the internet. Do you have a favorite kid show that's like on rotation at your house that you watch or movie or anything? You know, I can tell you what I wish my daughter watched and she is watching Paw Patrol a lot now, which is driving me a little bit insane. All due respect to the creators of, of Paw Patrol. she I don't know what it is about that show, but she loves it with her whole heart. I really want her to watch Ada Twist Scientist on Netflix, but she is really obsessed with Paw Patrol. And I think... I think the thing that we found recently to make the screen time a little better is you can turn the, the dubbing on in Mandarin. <laughs> so, oh, wow. so she's actually, she's actually attending a Mandarin immersion Montessori, which we're very thankful to to have the opportunity to send her to. And it turns out on Netflix, you can turn on like a variety, like you can turn on Spanish, you can turn on Mandarin. Like I think there's several other languages too. So all the kids shows can be like, you can play them in another language. So that, that softens the blow okay. of some of the cartoons, but I love Molly of Denali on PBS Kids, but she's she's lately decided that she's over PBS Kids, even though we're, we're trying really hard to get it back into the rotation. I've been pushing Ada Twist too.
0: And we love those books, but they're just not into it right now, but they will, she will grow out of Paw Patrol. It's like so perfect for one age and then they get a little older and they just grow right out of it. So what, what do you transition them to? I don't know. They kind of find, my kids sort of found it. I don't know how, because we're like all here on Netflix, but I don't remember what, because now my daughter's like almost nine. So we've like, we're like four shows out. I think Octonauts was right around there. Maybe that came right after Paw Patrol. A little more. I don't know.
1: We we know that the minute she starts to read, she's not going to talk to us anymore. So we're trying to just enjoy this this period, this remaining half year before she starts learning to read. When when she still wants to to hang out with us, because I she she's very ready and she's very eager. And I think once that skill is learned, like there's going to be very little like hanging out time with us. Awesome. I mean not awesome, but funny.
0: <laughs> anyway. <laughs> all right. Jasmine, thank you. This has been a pleasure. Congratulations again. And I hope you find the time and space you need to to go back to your writing, which you love. And I'm just so excited for you after all these years that you got the whole like dream come true scenario. So it, it has
1: really been a dream come true. And thank you so much for having me on the show today.
0: My pleasure. All right. Take care. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye.